so much because how I interpret it is sometimes in life you kind of get caught up with things that don't really have to do with your faith or things to do with God and some of those things can be good things like keeping up with your grades and stuff and you can also incorporate God into those I don't know I keep looking over here sorry well I just need to look over here um you can incorporate God into those things but if you don't you should try to do so but like if you get caught up, you sometimes need to slow down and think of the simpler things. And you need to get some one-on-one time with God and just re- really focus on the main thing in life, and that's God. So just think about that moving into the next song. Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds I can't have made. 
time where we take offering, and I'm going to go ahead and pray for that, and then we'll get into the last song. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful night, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity that you give us, Lord, called offering. Um, I just pray over this money, Lord, is that we send it out to the people who need it more than most, that they get it, and that they buy the things that they need, um, such as food, water, medicine, and that all importantly, they know that the money comes from you, Lord, not from us. In your name we pray, amen. Yeah. 
Father, Lord, I thank you for this wonderful night where we can come here and we can worship you. I just pray tonight that the message um, tonight will speak to us, Lord, and that when we leave this place, is we don't act as if there's a switch in our brain, Lord, um, that says, hey, we've, le- we've left church. We can be a different person than we are. And, um, I pray that we leave here, Lord, with the mentality, Lord, that we leave here as a, a God-like presence to everyone around us, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. Um, so just a reminder, I do have Miracle Camp slips tonight. Um, when you do turn in your slip, it is encouraged uh, for you to turn in with it a $50 deposit. Those two things together will be due, I believe, by the end of January. So um, if you're interested in Miracle Camp, grab one of these. And then again, uh, $50 deposit with the permission slip due by the end of January. Um, and then another thing, hey, we're having our Christmas party next week. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's going to be it's gonna be a pretty chill night. Nothing too, like, exciting or anything. I'm just kidding. It's going to be super exciting. Um, we're doing a baking contest. Does anybody remember that? Is anybody cooking? Raise your hand if you're cooking for that. Okay. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do with these. So we're going we're gonna to have a couple prizes. The first one is going to be a, a best all-around dessert, okay? And then we're going to have a most creative dessert. And then we're going to have a most atrocious-looking dessert. So if you think you're a bad cook, that's not an excuse because you could actually be a, be a, a, win a prize for not doing your best job. So if you want to purposely make a dessert that looks horrendous and tastes terrible, you're more than welcome to do that and, and just hurt our judges' feelings as you give them horrendously disgusting dessert. So feel free to do that. So we'll have, we'll have most disgustingly ugly dessert. We will have most creative looking dessert, and we will have the best all-around dessert. The best all-around dessert will win a gift card in the amount of, I can't tell you, but it'll be a little bit more than 20 bucks probably. And then the other two will win a gift card as well, but I can't tell you how much it is or what it's for. Mr. Hantak. The worst, the worst ones you get a measuring cup, a little measuring set. We'll get them a gift card to Bed Bath & Beyond so they can get some stuff to cook better. Um, so yeah, Christmas party next week. So we're going to have a baking co- competition. So bring a dessert. We will try them all. Um, our judges will try them all. And then they will go run a 5K afterwards because they will have to. Um, and then uh, just, just another uh, announcement for you guys. The week after next, the 28th, that'll be during Christmas break, we will not be having hype that week. So enjoy the time. Chill at home with family. Uh, hang out with your friends, whatever. Um, I wanted to also say, like, hey, um, you guys are off school for two weeks. You're more than welcome. If you, if you like, wanted to do something and, like, you wanted to hang out, you can call me. I'm available. Please call me. We will go do something together. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there and let you know. Um, if you want to hang out, I'm more than, more than willing to do that. I would love to do that. I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, who knows? We might be able to bring the baby with us if, if Sarah lets us do that. Bring the, bring the Baby to Peoria. That sounds like a, an interesting movie title. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> so if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to the book of Isaiah. We'll be in chapters 9 and 11, but then we'll also be in Philippians 2. So we'll kind of be all over the place tonight. Um, last week, does anybody remember what we talked about? Does anyone remember? This is the pop quiz, were you listening last week when we, when we talked? Do you remember? Christmas, yes. If that was a guess, it was a perfect guess because we did talk about Christmas too. I know. Yes. So, and we talked, about, we talked about what it meant for God to put on flesh and live among us as a person, and that person being Jesus, right? You guys remember this a little bit? Then we got in, a, we got in a groups and talked about it. So, um, again, I, and, I, and I said this last week, and I want to say it again. I think the Christmas story is something that we, we hear about often, and so it's easy for us to kind of glaze over it because it's like, oh, well, I know that story. I don't need to be told that story again. Um, I know the story of Jesus. I'm familiar with the story of Jesus' birth. I know why he was born. He was, he was a savior. He died for our sins. Done deal. End of story. Um, yes, yes, that, that, that all may be true, but um, there are so many incredible truths in the Christmas story that if we, every year for the rest of our lives, took time to intentionally study the significance of the Christmas story for our entire life, we would never unfold all of the truth that is there for us in that story. One of the beautiful things about Scripture is it, it's, uh, I'm going to quote Shrek here, and I'm going to quote Shrek here with the Bible. Um, just like ogres have layers and onions have layers, Scripture has layers. Um, and, and the more time that you spend in the Word of God, it's incredible. God um, unfolds his word to you. Psalm 119.18 is a prayer that says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And the longer that I um, spend following Jesus, the more I just discover the treasures that are hidden in his word. And it's, it's, it's an amazing journey. I would encourage you if, you, if you don't read the Bible regularly, I would encourage you to do so. But even more than that, I would encourage you to do it with some friends because you're going to get so much more out of reading the scriptures with other people who love God and love people than you would doing it by yourself. So, um, and if you need somebody to study the scriptures with, let me know um, or talk to a leader in here because I know that they would love to study the scriptures with you as well because if they didn't, they wouldn't show up. So um, scriptures have layers and the Christmas story is filled. It's filled with layers of truth. Um, how many of you guys have ever heard the word Messiah before? Messiah. Okay, so pretty familiar term. Um, let me ask you this. What does Messiah mean? What does it mean? Or what do you think it means? Savior, okay. Teacher, leader. Any other words come to mind when you hear Messiah? So we have Savior, teacher, leader. Anything else? Jesus, okay. I like Jesus. That's a good word for Messiah. What about Christ? Christ is actually the Greek word for Messiah. Did you know that Christ was not Jesus' last name? Christ was actually um, a title for Jesus and not Jesus' last name. It was, if, you, if you look at um, most scriptures, some translations, uh, you will see Jesus Christ. But more often in the actual original language, you'll usually see Christ Jesus. And because um, that word Christos means Messiah. It's, it's the Greek word meant for Messiah. And when you said Savior, you were correct. In the, to a Jewish person reading the Old Testament, because that's where we're at. We're in the Old Testament tonight. We're in Isaiah. 
to a Jewish person reading the Old Testament, when they heard prophecies like the ones that we're going to talk about tonight, the word Messiah would have meant two things to them. They would have heard heard two big ideas, and these are the two big ideas that we're going to talk about tonight. They would have heard Savior, and they would have heard King. King and Savior. King and Savior. So let me ask you this. How many of you guys would say that you've heard Jesus referred to as Savior? Yeah? Not, you, can, you can nod your head, raise your hand, whatever. Okay. What about king? You guys ever heard that? That's a little less common, I, I think. More often than not, we'll hear Savior more than we would king. Um, and they're both equally important, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because Jesus' identity is wrapped up in those two things, Savior and king. And even more than that, we have to understand how the first century mind, how somebody, when these, when these passages were written, the book of Isaiah was written around 700 B.C. Jesus was born around 3 B.C. So about 700 years before Jesus was born, this text was written down. And people, right, people reading this did not have the life of Jesus in mind when they read these things, right? Like when we read Isaiah, who do we, when we read these prophecies, who do we think about? We think about Jesus, we think about his life, we think about the stories that we know. Why? Because those stories have already happened, right? To us, it's history, but to them, it was something that was yet to happen. It was in the future. It was going to happen. And so often in the Bible, you'll actually hear in the Old Testament, you'll hear prophets and things refer to the mystery of God. And the mystery of God is essentially, this, this is all it is. It's not this abstract, ungrasped truth that we could never fathom or understand. The mystery of God in the Bible is the mysterious story of the coming Messiah. Because prophets in the Old Testament had no idea who this Messiah would be. They got bits and pieces of qualities of him. You know, Isaiah talked a lot. Most of our messianic texts are in Isaiah. Isaiah wrote the most about the coming Messiah. Um, in, In Isaiah, we see things like the virgin birth, In Isaiah 53, we see an amazing prophecy uh, about the cross and how Jesus was going to suffer and die and the degree that he was going to suffer and die. And we saw that that suffering was uh, ordained and brought about by God as a plan for the redemption of his people. And we see these things in the book of Isaiah. But these people, when they would read these texts, they would think um, a little differently about king and savior. What I mean by that, is what does a Savior do? What is the job of a Savior? To save, right, exactly, to save. And so one of the interesting things is, is we look on Jesus' life, we've heard it. And so when we see Jesus as Savior, well, what does he save us from? Sin, right, it's like a given, we know it. It's, it's history, we know it, we know the story, um, we've heard it before. But to the Israelites who are being prophesied of this, they, they thought something different. And that is why when Jesus came, they missed it. They missed it. They missed the Messiah. That's why when Jesus was here, you see passages like where Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And he says, I wish I could gather you to myself as a shepherd would gather his sheep. But they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Why? Why? Because they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. And because they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah, any claim that Jesus made to be the Messiah was taken not as truth, 
from the Jewish religious leaders. It was taken as blasphemy against God. And the charge that was against Jesus when he died on the cross was blasphemy. And so Jesus was legally charged by a court, and his charge wasn't robbery, it wasn't murder, it wasn't any of those things. His charge was blasphemy. Because in that time, faith was so interwoven and interconnected with government that they were were one and the same. The religious leaders were high-level political officials that had the authority to charge and execute people who broke religious law. And that religious law that Jesus broke was blasphemy because they didn't see him as Messiah. So how did they not see him as Messiah? Well, let's look at two prophecies real quick. We're not going to be able to spend a ton of time like breaking these down and digging these out because we're just going to try to grasp these two big ideas of king and savior. So let's read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when defining the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. I want you guys to remember that. The yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. The warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be ruled for the fire. For, and you guys have probably heard this before, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's talking about Jesus. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, right? That sounds like a king, right? He will reign over his throne, over David's throne and over his kingdom. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we see a lot of stuff there. There's tons of stuff there. But I I want you guys to see Savior and King. We see Savior in the section that it talks about um, having the yoke that burdened them shattered in verse 4. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. These are, this is all language pointing to suffering of the people of Israel that they're going to be freed from by this child who is coming. And then king, we see king, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, prince being a sign of royalty, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and his kingdom will be no end. So Jewish people in 700 BC, I'll get you in a little bit. You, keep, you can put your hand down. I see you. Jewish people in 700 BC would have seen this, this and they would have said, okay, king, savior, king, savior. Just remember that. We're going to go to another one in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From the, the roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is talking about Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. 
He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. So what we see here, right, that sounds like violent. He will slay the wicked. Now Isaiah is pointing to, in this this passage specifically, in chapter 11, he's pointing to Christ as the reigning king and that Christ will establish his kingdom, that Christ will um, establish his throne and he will rule and he will reign over the peoples of the earth and he will judge the wicked and the righteous. And that's what this is pointing to. And so this king that Israel was expecting was completely different than Jesus. How? Let me ask you something. When you think of a king, what comes to mind? Just right now, if I say king, don't try to think of like Jesus as king. Just think king. What you know about kings and royalty? The rich, okay. Yes, we're getting somewhere. This is good. What else do you think of when you think of kings? What'd you say? No, no, I just couldn't hear you. What'd you? No, you're okay. You, Rome? Yes, okay. Rome. I thought you said, I think I'm wrong. And I was like, wait, you haven't given me anything yet. You can't be wrong. Okay. Royalty, okay. King Arthur, okay. Right, important people kings are. What else? Tyranny? Is that where you're? Okay. Like a tyrant? Okay. So a ruler. Gold, yes. Keep going. Burgers, Burger King. Nice, I like that. Okay. Greedy, okay. I want, I want you to listen, to listen to all the things that you said and just think about that. When Israel thought the Messiah would come, Israel was expecting somebody to be born in privilege, somebody to be born in ro- under royal circumstances, somebody to be, be put in an immediate position of influence, right? If you're in a king and you're a part of the royal family, it's a big deal, right? How many of you guys have ever heard of Prince William over in England, right? It's not even like an actual monarchy. They're just political figures because they're part of the royal family of England. When he got married, right, it was like a big deal. Like everybody heard about it. And then they had a baby, and that was like a big deal. And that baby was super important. The baby hadn't done anything yet, but it was important. And it was, it was, it was born in a, in, a, in, a, in, rich, in a rich environment, in immaculate circumstances, right? That baby is now in a position of influence, um, especially back in the old, olden days, in the, in the <laughs> olden days, in the Old Testament. Uh, king Josiah in the Old Testament w- started reigning as king when he was nine years old. Yes, I, I see your face. Um, nine years old. Why? Because he's royalty. He's royalty. They expected this king to establish the kingdom of God through the nation of Israel. Now, what do I mean by that? The Israelite people were expecting when the Messiah would come, he would come as a political king. And when he would come and he would establish the nation of Israel, and so the nation of Israel as a country would be higher than every other nation. Every other nation would then become subordinate to them, and they would rule the world, essentially. And they thought that the kingdom of God would rule in that way on this earth. Because throughout all of the Old Testament, they were God's chosen people. They were God's covenant people. They lived in the promised land and God was going to send a a king to establish the throne of David over all people forever. 
So the king of Israel would no longer just be the king of Israel as a country, he would be the king of Israel and the world. And so this was the idea of what they thought of as a Messiah. Now let me ask you something. This is, my, this is why I, I mentioned something about nativity scenes. Was Jesus born in a position of influence? No, he wasn't. The most prestigious community in that culture was Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a poor community. And then he moved to Egypt. And after the Babylonians conquered Egypt, Egypt wasn't the prestigious nation that we, we think of when we think of like Exodus and Pharaoh. Egypt was suffering. And Jesus moved from Bethlehem, his family moved from Bethlehem to Egypt. And then they moved from Egypt to Nazareth. And Nazareth is like the hood of northern Judah and Galilee. It's not a good place to live. But he lived there. He didn't live in a place of influence. Now, how was he born? Was Jesus born in a palace? No, he wasn't. Jesus was born in a stable. And here's what I want you to know about a stable. When we think stable, what do we think of? Farmers and barns and hay. A stable, listen to this, a stable in Bethlehem in the first century looked more like a cave. And it was dark. And it smelled like poop. And it was disgusting. It was a horrible place to be born. And Jesus, when, after he was born, he was placed in what? A manger. And when we think of a manger, what do we think of? A beautiful crib. But a manger is a horse trough. It is a device used for feeding animals, which means it probably wasn't very clean. Why? Because, well, it had animal food all in it, all the time. It means people probably didn't clean it very well. And because it was in a cave, these horse troughs were actually not wooden boxes. They were typically carved into the stone wall. Why? Because if you have a big cow trying to eat something and it's in a box and the cow goes down to try to eat it, well, what's going to happen to the box? The box is going to spill over. It's going to move around, right? It's like that funny story or that funny scene you see with a kid when he's chasing the ball, but he keeps kicking it because he doesn't know what he's doing. But it's the same thing with it. And so these things were carved out of a wall and they're made of stone. This is not the ideal location for a birth of a king. And, and here's the thing, we, we hallmark up this story, and we, we I, I, don't, I don't mind nativity scenes. Nativity scenes don't bother me. The issue is when, when we take the, the image that we see on the shelf, and we put it in the Bible. When what we should do is we should take the image we see in the scriptures, because that's our final authority, and we should put that on the shelf. And that's the image that, we should, that should come to mind when we think of these things. But when we clean up the nativity when we clean up that scene of Jesus' birth, we miss the significance of what God is doing. We miss the significance of this, this humble act of the God of this universe putting on human flesh and coming to live with his people. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus born in a position of influence? Was he around affluent people? No. In fact, Jesus didn't assume his position of influence until he started his ministry around 30 years old. 
And so what it would appear, if we look at the beginning years of the life of Jesus, it seems that he had a very unimportant birth in an unimportant place with unimportant people with no important influence at all. He's a very normal guy. Now, we do know of certain things that happened at his birth, right? We know of this amazing story of angels going to visit the shepherds on the night of his birth, right? And this, it was like heaven opened up to these shepherds, and they saw amazing amounts, like think of a stadium filled with angels singing glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth, right? Have you heard this before? And that is amazing. But here's the interesting thing about that. While that is amazing and while that gives some sort of aspect of royalty or prestige or influence, it was to shepherds. God chose to reveal the birth of his son to the lowest socioeconomic status of people, to the poorest people, not to rich royalty. And so you see this really interesting thing happening in the birth of Jesus. It's it's very humble. And the second thing that It's not kingly. It's not kingly. And the second thing that I want you to see about this is is Savior. We know that Jesus came to save the lost from their sin. But when he was born, I love that you said Rome. I love that. Because when Jesus was born, Rome had military occupancy over the Israelite people. It's very similar to you know, what we study in U.S. history when England had military o- occupancy in the U.S. and the Revolutionary War happened and the U.S. fought back against the British and we became our own country and all that. Thing. You, you, you guys know that? And it was messed up and taxation without representation. All of these injustices happened to the American people and so they decided to do something about it and take care of England. Well, very, very similar, the Roman people occupied and had military occupancy over the Israelite people. So they set up their government their taxes, Caesar in the Roman government was actually seen as a god, not a person. The king of Rome, they worshipped the king of Rome, Caesar. And so Caesar was worshipped as a god. And so you can automatically see how this is conflicting with the Jewish people who are trying to worship the Lord, and and they're being told they have to worship this this small g god of Caesar. And so the Israelite people didn't think they needed saving from sin. They thought they were going to get saved from the Romans. And so when you say Savior, as it means the Messiah, they anticipated that they were going to get saved from the military occupancy. And this ruling and reigning king would come and overthrow the Roman government. They were expecting a violent Messiah to come back and fight against the Roman government. As a king would, right? I mean, I mean think about it. We know the story of the Exodus, the injustices against God's people, and what does God do? God himself overthrows Pharaoh, and Pharaoh lets the Israelites go, and they, and they, and they eventually get to the promised land. Similarly, they were, the Israelites were oppressed by Rome, and they thought that God was going to overthrow Caesar, and they were going to be able to live in the promised land, which is where they were, in peace, and God was going to establish his kingdom there, and he was going to rule through the nation of Israel. But the Savior, as we know, came to deal with something much more important than Rome. He came to deal with our hearts. He came to save us from our sin, the sickness that, that, that plagues us all as people born in a fallen condition. This is what the Savior came to do. And Jesus was by no means a military leader. 
right? He was the exact opposite. And the Pharisees tested him on this, right? Because they, they expected the Messiah to overthrow and, and want nothing to do with the Roman government. And so they actually challenged Jesus and they said in his life, and they said, um, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? They asked Jesus this question. They asked him this to try to trap him. Because if he, if he said he was for the Roman government, then he couldn't be the Messiah and they would have to kill him for blasphemy. But then if he said he was against the Roman government, then they could report him to the Romans and the Romans would have to kill him for treason. And so they said this to Jesus to try to trap him. And Jesus says this. He says, whose face is on the, on the, on the coin, on, on the currency? Whose face is that? And they said, Caesar's. And he says this. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And it was this... this this radical statement because Jesus takes a neutral posture there. But to them, they were offended when he said that because this Messiah or this person claiming to be Messiah isn't doing what the Messiah was supposed to do or at least what they thought the Messiah was supposed to do, which is overthrow the Roman government. Jesus came to save us from our sin and the sickness there. The beautiful thing about the story of Jesus is that the victory that came about through his life, how he defeated sin, looked like defeat of the Messiah. What do I mean by that? The cross does not look like victory. The disciples were discouraged because they too anticipated some sort of conquering king, but instead they received a suffering servant. And it didn't make sense to them at first until Jesus was raised from the dead and then he explained it to them. But the victory of God that came about through Jesus' life came through the most atrocious defeat in the history of man. The most heinous crime, the murder of the Son of God. And it's this, this, this crazy looking picture because what looks like utmost defeat accomplished the greatest victory in regards to victory over sin and death and that death itself has died and we await the second coming of Jesus Christ to rule and reign with him on a new heaven and a new earth. And we as believers should long for this eternity for our entire life. Jesus and the birth story of Jesus is extremely significant. Extremely significant in the way that it happened. Extremely significant in the way that it was misunderstood. It's an amazing story, and I hope that you spend time wrestling with that story this week. And I want us to split up into groups for about 10 minutes, and I want us to just kind of either look at these passages and just talk about how our appreciation or our, or, our, or our thoughts about the Christmas story have changed as a result of what we've talked about tonight. Um, and then what we'll do after that is we'll close in singing. Uh, Connor will come up here, and we'll start singing. Uh, and we'll praise God for what he's done through the birth of his son this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this time. God, it is a blessing to be able to uh, spend time with your people talking about your word and who you are. Lord God, I pray that as we um, spend time alone reflecting on you and reflecting on your word, that we would uh, grow in our love for you and grow in our love for people, that we would grow in our understanding of the Christmas story, our understanding of the significance of it, but God, that our understanding wouldn't just stop as head knowledge, Lord, but that it would penetrate our hearts and that it would bring about in us a joy in you. Lord God, help us to enjoy you 
this week. In Jesus' name, amen.